Good evening to each of you. I feel a privilege to be here in your presence with you as brethren. I, I surely don't come to this congregation. Well, I don't want to go to any congregation, but certainly here I don't come with any sense of superiority or that I have something to share to you that you couldn't likewise share with me. But uh, a desire in my heart that we could stir up the embers, provide a little more wind to the back. As was quoted this morning, there's a group of people getting ready to leave. And uh, the scripture says the Lord Jesus is coming those, for those who look for him. So God bless you. God bless you for being a challenge in my life. I know some of you a lot better than others, but you are a challenge in my life. God bless you for that. I wrote these things up here not to be a distraction, but there was a person or two that uh, wanted to write down the list, and I didn't do that good of a job of putting them in order, but there they are if you had interest in copying them. For you. It was last night's, a little bit of last night's outline. That's not what we're preaching the message tonight. So I was teaching some history recently. I was thinking about the tremendous blessing the United States of America has been to Anabaptist people. Way back when, when there was a lot of persecution in, in Europe and a lot of poverty as a result of that, a lot of loss, loss of fathers, loss of goods, loss of life. And people came to America, even to states that were uh, established by Catholics, but had decided to offer freedom of religion. And Protestants who decided to offer freedom of religion. And I know there's been some real stumbling blocks in this land because ease and prosperity can do that. But here people have been able to worship God without fear of persecution many times. But there's been those eras, especially in times of war, especially in times of the two civil wars. You say, wait a minute, two civil wars? Well, in many ways, especially for Christians, the Revolutionary War was a type of civil war too, as Christians found themselves caught between two factions that they wanted to do good to all men and cause some grief, loss, but by and large, we've had it so easy, we can't hardly sing with a straight face, must I be carried through the skies on flowery beds of ease. Because the fact of the matter is sort of been that way. And many, many times our, our faith has not been tested all that much when it comes down to the realities of putting your life on the line, or all your goods on the line, that you possibly are going to lose everything if, if you don't compromise and in many cases in the lower castes of people in the old country, uh, people worked hard all their life and never got beyond just bare subsistence. In this country, men have been, willi- been able to work with ethics, with integrity, and they've been able to provide a very sound, stable living for their families. And not only that, but promote extension and yet to this day we have marvelous opportunities of extension of the gospel through 
writing and publication and missions and printing and translation and praise God for all that's getting done. We should be getting a lot more done than we are, but there's opportunities. Yet tonight, there's opportunities. I am not a prophecy preacher who lays out what's going to happen with dates and facts and conclusions already foregone. I'm just not and I'm, I don't think I'm as careful student of prophecy as I ought to be, but I do consider tonight a prophetic message. Not in the sense of what I just said, but in the sense that God through His Word says, it's time to lift up our heads and watch and pray. Because there are some very real certain uncertainties. Let's pray. So Father, we come to you tonight. We are thankful that you do not leave us without direction, without warning, without alerting us to the needs of our day. I don't know all that you want to say to our hearts here this evening in this message, but you do. And so I asked you, as has already been explained, to take your words and lift them up in our hearts and say those things to us that you once said by your Spirit to our hearts and that we could get the blessing and gain out of that, whatever it is. And so I ask you for your guidance and direction as we expound on your word. We read it, we talk about it, and we think about your message to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. This message, though it's not a direct exposition of the chapter, is taken from the chapter of Luke 21, and so I invite you there. I'd like to take the time tonight to read this whole chapter. And I just invite you to be thinking as I read this chapter about that term certain uncertainties and see how, I mean, it's not the words Jesus used, but see if that's not what he was addressing somewhat in this chapter. Luke chapter 21, verse 1. And he looked up, that's Jesus, he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. He saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offering of God, but she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, 
Be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines and pestilences, and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these they shall lay their hands on you, and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist, and ye shall be betrayed both by parents. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not an hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell in the face of the whole earth, Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was, free, he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. Jesus was standing there 
at the entrance of the temple and watching these people cast their offerings in. And Jesus was aware that what he understood about people, events, values, future, his understanding was different than the rest of the people around him. He looked at his disciples and he realized that even they were tainted with some misunderstandings. And in my words, he said to his disciples, you need to understand a few things. You need to understand that my value system about what really matters is not the same as yours. This woman's heart is closer to me than these rich men's heart. But there's something else I want you to know. All these things that you think are admirable. We have some things like that too. Things that we look at and we think count or worth something. Things that we admire. It's not all bad. I don't even think it was bad that the disciples were admiring a, a magnificent building that was constructed to give glory to God and bring all of worship into their hearts in that setting, in that era, in that time. I don't think that was per se out of place, but what Jesus did want to convey to them is there is not certain security in this. This is not where you need to base your hearts because there's change coming. There's real troubled times coming. All this that you're thinking is really worth something, it's going to... Are we wrapping our hearts and arms around anything that's going to do the same thing? Someday, <laughs> it's not going to count. We spend, I don't know, I'm not, anybody that knows me knows that I'm not so great with finances. But one thing for sure, when I go to spend a sizable amount of money for something, I think about how many hours it takes me to work to get it. And I really wonder what a young man who only needs to go back and forth from a day job and spend $60,000 for a pickup if he ever realized how many hours of hard toil it was going to have to do just to pay for that thing. Well, brothers, sisters, tonight... I'm not going to give you dates. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about a year from now if the Lord tarries. I don't know about ten years from now. But I will say this. I am amazed at how much has changed in this country that we live in the last ten years. And it's really accelerated in the last three years. And I think all the indications are, are ripe that we have very certain uncertainties facing us down the road. And especially thinking tonight of three in particular, political upheaval, financial upheaval, and spiritual upheaval. And I think it's certain. Because of what Jesus said about the last days. 
because that the indicators are here in our land. And, this, and a number of them have already begun to happen. And I'm not going to tell you, because I don't know, that we're going to have civil war in this country in 2020. But I want to tell you, it could happen. I would almost go so far as to predict that regardless of who wins the election, there's going to be turmoil over it because of the level of hatred and corruption and disdain that the ungodly have for one another and that you and I should not have any part in any of it. I've probably come as close to being a Mennonite Republican as anyone here. I like the news and I like politics just because of my nature. If I wasn't a preacher and a Christian, I'd probably be a politician. That don't say much for my character, does it? But anyway, I have become convinced that there's no answers for Christians in politics. I mean, God's going to set up who he will and set down who he will. But the fact of the matter is, the ungodly are not going to like it. Don't matter how it turns out. And on top of that, as an ungodly people go deeper and deeper under the power of demonic influence, the whole lack of civility and, and responsibility and desire to have what I want for me and it doesn't matter what it costs other people, sooner or later the bill's going to come due and we're going to have severe financial difficulties in this country. I think that's a certainty when and how. I mean, I thought back in 75... Well, it was just when I was a teenager that the country would never survive financially this long. You older folks, you remember what it was like back then? You wanted to borrow for a house. It was like 22%, and you could put money on CDs for 15%. I mean, you could really make money in savings back then. Of course, everything was going up fast, too. Gas lines, remember that? So we thought the petroleum would run out by now, and the money would surely run out. And here we are, prosperous times again. Folks, I think things are going to change. I really do. I don't know. It might be another 10, 20 years. I don't know, but uh, we better lift up our heads. Because, you see, it's not, it's not a matter of poor politics that we got plenty of them. It's not, it's not a matter of poor financial I mean, this thing of barring and barring and barring, even at a personal level, much less a, a national level. It's the ter deterioration of the morals and the spiritual fiber and character of our land, where good is called evil and evil is called good. And it's rife. I mean, yeah, talking about politicians, it's amongst, it's amongst, amongst Republicans, I see, because I said that because, you know, I kind of... You know, I appreciate when that party puts in conservative judges and so forth, but righteous? Are you kidding me? Are Republican presidents living with a woman that's not his wife? I mean, well, it's, they would say it's his wife, but it's his third one. Truth? Doesn't matter. Either way, independent, same way. And unfortunately, most churches likewise. You know, this... This system here, and too much of it, those that profess that system, that when you take polls of the sinfulness, divorce rates, immorality rates, etc., 
that's virtually as poor in the church as it is in the non-churched? And that's the society that's under the wrath of God. And uh, I really think, if I live to be as old as my mom lived, it's not going to be must I be carried through the skies on flowery beds of ease anymore because we're going to see different times than we saw up to now. The level of indulgence, the level of wanting what's selfishly for me, service without responsibility. Hate, violence, and then, you know, I think we can expect extremist laws as, as the pendulum swings back and forth because there's such a grapple. And I really think this is, this is a grapple for control between the powers of evil and the restraining force of the Spirit of God. But we're getting to the place with our sin load in our land that the restraining arm of God is coming to a close. I don't know to what degree and I don't know how fast, but I just believe that God has every right to say, the cup of iniquity is full, it's time to let my judgments fall upon this land. And then the religious, and I've already alluded a little bit to this, but the religious instability, the religious seduction and deception but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived and dear people tonight while it's all over the land in every denomination uh, the Anabaptist circles are not different in this respect there's a tremendous amount of deception amongst Anabaptist people. I didn't use the term our churches there, the Mennonite conservative church, though we face it. I don't believe it's quite to the same degree and level, but it's real. False concepts about how to deal with sin. False concepts about abuse. Abuse is real. But the way God deals with sin and repentance and restoration is different than the way society does it. False concepts about family life and genders and the list goes on and on and sometimes they get pretty close to where we're at. Pressure from government to deal with human needs the way the government wants to deal with human needs. And unbelief and apathy, coolness falling away. And you know this cell phone thing? There's a lot of dangers with the cell phone, which by extension means the internet, the worldwide net, the connection we have with I don't know, I'm not a techie. Would it be today billions of sites? Billions of sources? I think it would be. Billions of sources. And you make these connections, and there's so many voices, so many 
so many blogs, so many podcasts, so many commentators, so much resource. You, you can take a spiritual subject and you can enter it into the World Wide Web and you can get dozens and dozens of opinions, messages, commentaries, yays and nays. If you want to find something that supports your position, I'll guarantee you can find it. Even if it directly refutes something the Bible says. And I really believe that one of the greatest dangers to our churches is not per se immorality, though that is a huge problem with the internet. But all of us Christian men here tonight and our wives know that immorality, pornography, uh, evil stories, whatever else, that that's wrong, that's sinful. But what is far more deceptive is relig our religious voices who are not speaking God's truth. Some of them are very charismatic. And I like good-sounding preaching as much as anyone. So I was one time, I forget even the reason why, but somehow I got on this man's site online, and he was an able preacher. And he had one of those deep, resonating type voices, and he had ability to speak and express himself, and he was really sold on what he was saying. And so I was a bit mesmerized. <laughs> we'll listen to this man in a few moments. Well, it didn't go too long to two things shook me out of my regard for him. One was when he put a certain date that... Uh, I think it was that Jesus Christ was going to come, or maybe it was a certain battle that was going to take place. That year! That was a couple years ago. Uh, and it didn't happen. I don't think anyone throws stones at him, though, so I don't know what's going on there. But Anyway, um, the next thing that threw up red flags to me was there flashed on my little screen an advertisement for three of his CDs or something for like $135. Mm. And I, I checked in. So then I went online some more, but I started to check into his records and all that. Well, it wasn't too good. I, I don't think I've listened to him since. But, you know, are we discerning the voices. And I really believe that these many voices on the internet and also the interconnectedness of, of activities that take place in our communities between many different flavors of religious persuasion is one of the greatest uncertainties of our day. Because it's undermining security that where we're at in serving Jesus we're not sure at all that's where we ought to be. And we're not sure at all where truth is. And I want to say to you tonight that still in 2019 going into 2020 that the absolute foundation of truth is this book. The Bible are the words of God. 
I said that that way on purpose. They don't contain words of God, though they do. But it is the word of God. The way he said it was the message he was conveying to us as children. And the interpretation of the word of God is based on the man Christ Jesus. If you have doubts about what the Bible is really saying, well, look at the life of Jesus Christ and see what they meant to him. We were talking in Sunday school this morning that John the Baptist was said by Jesus Christ to be the greatest man born among women. One of the reasons that I believe that's true, that I, that I believe the Bible says that about John the Baptist, is he was a man who lived his life like Jesus did. Wholly given to the minister of his father. Wholly focused on his work. Filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Now I realize you and I don't get that privilege. Didn't get it. You don't get it. It was a special case. But it is our responsibility to get into it. Once we've had the opportunity to know Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility to be spirit-filled. And tonight, there are anchors to tie to. Number one, I already said, what the Bible says. Number two, the life of Jesus, which sheds truth on all of what the Bible says. Number three, there are men and women of God that we know personally that this word works for them. Now, I meet these people sometimes, as I told you already, that they doubt. Whether, whether Christianity as we know it and as we define it, whether it's really for real and whether it really works. And I tell people, I believe the Bible. I believe in Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons why I believe is because exactly the way it says it is exactly the way it works. You do things God's ways, it gives God's results. And you go against God's will and what he says is going to happen is, what's ha is what happens. Secondly, I believe in, in God and the Bible and what it says about Jesus because in Jesus' name I've seen him answer prayer specifically that could not have happened if Jesus would not have worked. I don't know whether that should be second or third, but the other thing I know is that when I do think God's way, I have peace, and when I don't, I don't have peace. And so, folks, I'd like to suggest <coughs> that we not go running around online looking for answers with people that we don't know about. by their life, that the Word of God is real in them. Fellowship with those people. Ask them questions. You know why, by and large, we go digging all over the place? Because we're challenged by answers we don't like. I really believe that, and maybe intellectualism. We like to think we're smart on the issues. I like to say tonight, it's not wrong to be informed, but we better focus more on being broken about the issues than being smart about the issues.
And so Jesus said, things aren't going to continue the way they are. And I, I really think you need to understand, I'm not a great prophecy teacher, but I do believe in this passage, Jesus was treating two different eras. He was talking about short-range things that was going to happen, all of that about not entering into Jerusalem and all that. That was going to happen there in A.D. 70, and it did happen. The Jews that took Jesus at his word and didn't get into Jerusalem and fled out of there and stayed out of there, Many of them were spared. The ones that went in and tried to fight the Romans, many of them ended up on a cross. And it was a terrible time. And they tore that temple down. And there was not one stone left upon another. And, and it was true that the poor ladies who had children to take care of and all of that, all those things pretty much were fulfilled in that time as, as we know it. But then Jesus also looked, to that time when the Son of Man was going to come in the clouds. And he talked about these things, this uncertainty of nations and the uncertain of the climate. Do you think there's climate change? I believe in climate change. I don't think man's going to stop it either. Because there's going to be tremendous signs in the climate because of the error we're in. And men are fearful. You don't believe it just, well, I don't even know if it's worth your time, but if you look at one of their demonstrations, I mean, they're shook up. And it's going to get worse. And Jesus, uh, if there's a verse, and I have a star beside it in my Bible, because it's the one that really speaks to me, verse 34 and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. You think, you think about Titanic, Pearl Harbor, one hour before, and many, many other like things where life was normal. Everything went on as it had, and all of a sudden, it all changed. And are we fiddling as disaster comes closer? Are we at ease, eat, drink, be merry? when it's time to get really serious about what we're facing. And I want to say with clarity tonight, this message has no intention, and Jesus didn't give it with the intention, that anyone be fearful, nor discouraged, nor alarmed about, can I do it? You cannot face tomorrow, tomorrow's trials today. Jesus didn't say that. What he was saying is, lift up your heads and put your confidence and trust in me. Get close to me. Draw nigh to me. You're going to need me in the days ahead. But if you want to need me in the days ahead, draw nigh today. You say, how can I meet financial upheaval? How can I meet Civil war in this country. I hope it never happens. I, by the way, I think we ought to pray for the peace of the United States. That, that's biblical. That God's people could live in peace and quiet. 
It's just that I think in spite of our prayers, it's not all going to happen, that's all. But uh, we, we'll get what we can get, all right? By God's grace, we'll take what he'll give us. You and I can't, we can't live those things. You can sit in your living room and you can drive yourself crazy saying, could, could, could I just sit here and pray while they shot my wife and children? Uh, I was put on a panel for non-resistance the other night, and they was asking these kind of questions, you know, the Jacob Hostetler type situations. You're going to shoot at the Indians, you're going to not shoot at the Indians. Well, you can't sit in your chair and, and, and know what you would do, except for one thing. You can know whether you're faithful for what God's asking you to do today. You can draw near to God and put Him first in your life today. And what I have found, I have found that in moments of testing, God is there. i give you an example that happened to me. And I fail so many times, I, I hate to even do this in some ways, but, I'm gonna, but it's so amazing to me that God was there that I'm going to tell you. Because I am a fraidy cat. I mean, I'm the kind of fellow that my wife says, hey, there's a bat in the room. I go down into the cover and say, go get the broom. I, I'm, I'm a chicken. I really am. I'm not a brave man. I know a man's supposed to be brave, but it's not me. Uh, when the dog barks, I get nervous. Um... It's just the way I am. But I've been threatened in my life, and there was a man in Guatemala one time, and I'm not going to take the time to give you the whole story. I'm just going to tell you that he, he said he was going to kill me, <clears throat> and he had killed people, and he had shot through our mission door, and he was a violent man. And one night he met me on a dirt street where I couldn't just roar off, and he was standing there with a the gun in his hand motioning me to stop. And so I stopped, and he got in my car, and he started to show me his gun, and he didn't remind me that he was going to kill me, but I knew that he had said that. And he was indicating his gun, and right about then, I started to preach him more of a message than I'm preaching to you all. And I told him if he didn't get right with God and he kept on his evil ways, he was going to meet up with people more evil than him, and they were going to take his life, and he ought to get right with God. I really, I really preached him a sermon. And after a bit, he said, would you take me to such and such a street? And of course, I said, yes, sir. And I took him. And then we got there. And he said, would you give me 20 consoles? That's about $3. And I said, yes, sir. And I gave him 20 consoles, and he got out. And when he got out, I was like, <laughs> But up until that moment, I had all it took. And that's just the way I think God is. You can't borrow that for tomorrow. You just can't. You can just do today what you need to do today. But I tell you what, folks, if we're going to play around and be careless about Christianity, we're not going to have it when we need it. And that's happened to me already, too. We fail the test because we just are not walking with God. And so I think we need to do some very simple things, but real things. We need to revitalize our use of the Word of God. Fill ourselves with God's Word. That's part of lifting up your heads. We need to revitalize our prayer life. And if anyone needs us here tonight, it's me. Because I know there's power in prayer. But it's so easy to neglect prayer. Because prayer takes a lot of discipline. But, but God says ask. You know, there's a fallacy amongst us sometimes. We like to say that it's real honorable to thank God for things. And that's what we ought to really do is be thankful. But be careful about that asking bit. 
I want to tell you something. It honors God to take him at his word and ask. And I agree. When he, when, he, when he answers prayer, we should thank him. And for all the good things he gives us, we should thank him. But we shouldn't act sanctimonious and say, oh, I won't ask too much because, you know, that's being selfish. No, if it's for a righteous purpose, it's not selfish. You and I need the grace of God. We need the help of God. And we need to get serious about Christian living before the crisis comes. And it's the real purpose of this message tonight that it's certain that there are greater uncertainties on our door sill and we need to get serious about revival in our lives before we get to what we're going to face. So I found out I got put in prison in Guatemala. And... Um, I've certainly made my mistakes along the way, but I was there by false accusation that time. And so that was a crisis in my life. And I want to just tell you, frankly, I didn't react the way I did to the gunman in the car. I reacted the other way. It blew me out of the water, so to speak. It made me so nervous and upset. I could hardly read the Bible. I could hardly pray. I knew they put me in there by false accusation. They smeared blood on my car. They railroaded me, and I was, oof. by the time I was in there two weeks, they were telling me that they were pressing charges and that I could be there as long as two years, and I was about the end of my nervous energy. And then, and then I broke and told God I would be a Christian irregardless and strive to serve him faithfully wherever I was and whatever the conditions and about an hour and a half later, I was out. Now, it doesn't always work quite that smooth, but it did that time. We need to bow our hearts and say, God, I really need to get serious with you now because I need to be faithful today and I need to be faithful tomorrow, whatever it costs. And there's other people depending on my faithfulness. I need to be a godly influence for my wife, for my children, for my grandchildren, for my brotherhood. We owe it to each other. And this day of uncertainty is to be certain about one thing, and that's our steadfast walk with God. Maybe we need to start thinking more about the long-range goal of Christianity. We're getting ready to leave. And I don't know what you're, uh, I told you I'm not much of a theologian when it comes to prophecy, but I do kind of tend to believe in the rapture. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I have this fond hope, see I told you I was a chicken, that I won't have to go through all the horrible things the Bible talks about, that maybe one of these days Jesus will just take us to church with him and we'll be out of here. Well, whether we're here or whether we're still there when some of that stuff comes, we're going to need the Lord. My advice to all of us tonight, starting with myself, is let's walk serious with God so we're ready for whatever tomorrow, the next day, the next week comes. I would be, I, I think it's time we take the realities of the future if the Lord tarries serious. I don't, I don't think we should overextend ourselves financially. I don't think we should in any way base our decisions on the stability of our government. We're not in good shape. We just are not. 
And I think it's time to know what we believe and know why we're standing on what we believe. This thing, uh, this ecumenical idea that everything's okay, it's just you can believe what you want to believe. And I don't mean in that sense that we should judge all other churches and say, this person's going to hell, this, no, stay out of that business. But for ourselves and our brotherhood, we should be stable and we should value steadfast stability that's anchored on God's word and sane sound practices. I was talking this morning because we're going to need it. When people begin to bite and devour one another and pressure comes on the church. And I'm going to tell you something. When they start pressuring us about genders and morals and, and school, do you know already in this country there are ex- Anabaptist folks who are pressuring a movement in our government to force high school on all Anabaptists. That's being actively pursued even in Pennsylvania, which, in case you all don't know, that's just three states north. But it's not as far as it sounds. It's just about 80 miles from here. Okay. And they, they have an effort in the Pennsylvania Congress to force compulsory attending of schools from 6 to 18. And I want to tell you something, to get it passed, the next thing they're going to work on is the required curriculum. And things that you do not want to teach your children are going to be in it when it comes. I don't know. Maybe it won't pass this time. Praise God if it don't. But these things are coming more and more. And you know what the tendency of Anabaptist people is going to be? To begin to judge one another about whether we made the right choices in, in response to that. You say, nah, come on, now you're being critical of God's people. Well, some of this stuff, there's already been some men go to prison, right? I think there's some differing opinions about those things. We're going to see more of it. We're going to see more of it. So it's time to look up. Be careful. And there ain't anybody here tonight needs this more than me, but be careful about indulgences. Be careful about the easy life. Be careful about the pursuit of pleasure. Be careful about purity. Be careful about influences. I go back to that thing of who you put your attention to for your answers. You going to take answers from someone who lives in direct disobedience to God's word? You going to value a book written by a divorced man? Are you going to value a, a, a seminar by someone whose life does not show the non-conformed pilgrim and stranger lifestyle? Can we drink out of contaminated systems and not get sick? I know we all do that to a certain extent. I mean, uh, in our school, we just bought a new... Uh, set of encyclopedias and we have a couple here present tonight that are going to go through them and and try to pull out at least some of the contamination i know there's a certain amount of this fish eating we need to do where we go for the meat and pick out the bones but the closer we get to doctrine 
on subjects and not just educational information, the more important it is that our sources be pure. I like to recommend something to you teachers, preachers, and Sunday school teachers, etc. Don't spend much time in commentaries, books. Spend even less time online when you get ready to preach and teach. Take up the Word of God. Compare what it says with what it says. Pray about it and let God give you a rhema, a message. Truth, that's something you can stand on in uncertain times. You can stand on the Word of God. Well, I believe that when Jesus comes for the church, he's going to find a church. I really do. Now, Jesus did ask the question in Luke 18. He said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I think that was a rhetorical question because he was asking the question, will there be people who pray until they get results? And I think he had a real burden, and there's a reason he asked that rhetorical question. But I also believe the answer to that is, yes, he will find faith on the earth. There's no indications in the Bible that when he comes there will not be a church to go with him. I, I, I believe there is. I know that God is able to keep that which we've committed to him against that day. But it's not going to happen by drifting. It's not going to happen, happen without us obeying what he said. He said, lift up your heads, take heed, watch and pray. That's what he said. When you see these things happening, don't get all down the mouth. Don't get all discouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't start casting about for ways to get out of it. Just lift, lift up your head. Start looking my way. Start getting serious about your life, avoiding this surfeiting and cares of life and partying and drunkenness and all that goes with it. Get yourself in tune with God. Watch and pray. And Jesus is going to come for those who are looking for him. I know in some ways this message is sort of negative because it's talking about all these certain uncertainties. I really think they are certain and I really do not believe that there's going to be a worldwide revival because the Bible doesn't predict it. But there can be a revival in Strasbourg. And there for sure can be a revival in your heart and mine. So that when Jesus comes, we're ready. We're ready. And we don't need a revival worldwide. We don't need United States of America to nationwide turn back to God. I mean, it would be wonderful, absolutely wonderful, but it don't have to happen for you and I to be ready. It don't have to happen for you and I to lift up our heads and say, me, me and my house, we're going to draw nigh to God. And I, I just think we need to pray about our decisions in a more intense way and probably pray more intensely about some things that we ought to prune. 
Sometimes I really wish, even for my own life, and you say, well, why can't you? Well, we could discuss that for a couple hours. But in some ways, I wish we could have done to the Internet what we did to TV and just shut it down. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not sure because it's a very useful tool. So maybe what we need to do is shut down the entertainment and the fun and the areas that tantalize our flesh and use the parts that are useful to the kingdom of God. I don't know. But I do know this. I think it's important that you and I get serious with God about where we need to draw the line so that we walk in righteousness. to pray about investing in our brotherhood so that our brotherhood stays alive and stable. I am convinced that the greatest destabilizing factor in homes, churches, and missions is when there's lack of success, when the power of God doesn't seem to function, when people don't get born again, when people don't mature in Christ, and we start casting about for other methods, other ways, other answers. Well, if we can draw nigh to God and know that God is there, that God is working. And by the way, when God's working, that doesn't mean we're going to win every case. Never going to happen. I mean, if you could win every case, Judas would be in heaven. Paul would have never talked about those people he had to turn over to Satan if you could win every case. But we need to see evidence that the power of God is working in lives, that it is making a difference that it works out in how I treat my wife, that it works out in how I treat my children, that it works out in the way I relate to my brotherhood, the way it works whenever I have to bow my heart and submit. We have four deacons in our district. And they were working with me on a financial thing, and I told them, I, they were very respectful. I, I worked with very respectful, kind deacons. But I told them I sort of had the feeling of a pig you're trying to get to go up to shoot. Have you ever worked with any of them? You know, they're rascals. They want to turn around and go the other way. But if you just hold something like plyboard in front of them on all sides and just keep gently moving forward, eventually they got to turn and go around. The, and so I, I said, you know, I kind of feel like you're just... You're not really saying a whole lot, but you're just sort of there. It worked out really good. But the moments when our heart has to say yes, pretty tough on us sometimes. We just tend to be knuckleheaded. But we need brotherhoods that are solid and that believe in what God is doing solidly enough that we... That we stand together for what's important. That we see the glory of Jesus Christ in the church a working faith. And so I want to let you, I want to let you with this blessing, if I can, to the church at Strasbourg. You can have absolute security in the day of certain uncertainties. There's no way I can, I can offer you any escape of the certain uncertainties that they're not going to come. I am sure they're coming. Jesus said so. But I can offer you that we can have absolute security in the midst of these uncertainties. We can know that whether it happens or whether it don't and how it happens and what it costs me, that at the end of the day, I'm ready to go. And when we get there, 
It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Can we stand together and pray?